All right, so we've been talking about this process. We believe that God has given us three instructions for this season. Number one, be strong. Amen. Number two, stabilize. And number three, stretch, stretch. We've, uh, we spoke exhaustively about the first point, uh, uh, the first instruction we believe God has given us uh, to be strong. And uh, today we're going to pick up uh, 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 where we left off last week, but actually we're transitioning from be strong into what it looks like to be stable, what it looks like to stabilize our lives, to minimize, or even better, to eliminate the chaos uh, that might exist in our lives. So today, today, um, we will begin our discussion of what it looks like to stabilize. Uh, I've chosen to approach uh, today's message by uh, developing an acrostic or an acronym uh, for stabilize. And then the more I worked on my message, I was like, well, <laughs> if I do an acrostic for stabilize, we'll be here until December. <laughs> and so I said, well, no, we'll, we'll shorten it and uh, uh, we'll use the word stable uh, to communicate the principles, I believe, that God wants to, sh- to, to show us uh, as we navigate this season here at City Church. Be stable. Be stable. Let's pray and we'll dive into the word. Father, we draw near to your word now again with reverence and great humility. Lord, I ask you for clarity in my thought and utterance. Uh, Father, I thank you uh, for hearts that are receptive to your word. I thank you for your promise that your word will never return to you void, but it will always prosper in the thing whereunto it is sent. And Lord, as your word goes forth into our hearts, we thank you that it will prosper and bear much fruit that will be evidenced in our lives, above only and not beneath, the head and not the tail, blessed going out and blessed as we come in and causing everything we set our hands to to prosper and flourish. This is your promise and we stand upon it now. It is our portion. It belongs to each of us. In Jesus' name and everyone said, amen Amen and amen. Uh, If you're following along in your notes, you know that we have notes on you version. Take advantage of that. You can add your own notes, your own thoughts uh, uh, as we move along in the text and in the message. Definitely take advantage of that. And then our sermons are also available on our mobile app, typically 48 hours after the service. So you want to make sure you download our mobile app. Uh, You can go to your Play Store. You can go to your App Store and simply search City Church TX, TX as in Texas, City Church TX, all one word, uh, and download the app and enjoy, okay? Uh, The reason we encourage people to download the messages and revisit the podcast is simply this. Uh, The scripture says, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. What the text does not say is faith comes by having heard the word of God. Uh, Oftentimes we think that if I've heard it once, I got it. Uh, That is actually incorrect. Uh, When Paul writes to the Romans, faith cometh by hearing, it is in the active continuous voice. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing and hearing and hearing the word of God. Of God, So it is my admonition, my exhortation to you not to be satisfied with simply having heard the word once, uh, but keep the word before your eyes. Keep the word in your ears so that it can reach your heart. Uh, this is the reason why that's important. 
The scripture says we ought to guard our hearts for out of our hearts flow all the issues of life. It's a big, big deal. It is a big, big deal. So I want to encourage you uh, as Christ followers to be diligent students of the word. Uh, Make that a discipline, a daily discipline of your life that you're devoting time to hear the word, but also to keep the word before your eyes. Amen. I've chosen this morning uh, a familiar passage of scripture as our anchor text. It's lifted from the first chapter of James, and it begins at verse number two. And I pray that the words we say, the thoughts and principles we communicate will have resonance with you and will meet you right where you are. Let's look to the word together. James chapter one, beginning at verse number two. Uh, The text reads, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. How many of you realize that tests and trials don't come in a cookie cutter version? And that's why the writer says, celebrate, rejoice, and count it all joy when you are faced with various trials. Because your trial may not look like my trial. And the last trial I navigated may not look like what I'm going through now. And he says, regardless of what the trial looks like, regardless of the variety of it, rejoice. Now, the instruction James is giving each of us this morning is counterintuitive. Nobody wants to rejoice in the midst of difficulty and adversity. And the reason James is saying that we ought to rejoice is he is teaching us a principle, which is simply this. If you look at your trouble, you will be consumed by it. But if you look beyond your trouble to what your trouble will produce in you, if you stay the course, you will have occasion and reason to rejoice. What uh, James is saying is most of us, begin to lose our footing. Most of us become unstable because we focus on the problem more than we focus on the promise on the other side of the problem. So so we'll see this in the text. This is what he says, my brethren counted all joy. This is an accounting term. Literally, in the Greek, the word picture is simply this. When you balance your books, When you do your profit and loss statement, realize that when it's all said and done and you reconcile your books, you will have reason to rejoice. This is why you will have reason to rejoice. This trial will not leave you at a deficit. This trial will actually bring you over to the other side of a surplus. And this is why. He says when you go through trials, there's something you need to know. There are things you need to know while you're going through. And he says, this is what you need to know. Knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. He said the byproduct of your faith being tested by this problem, this trial, this adversity is simply this. You will learn a lesson called patience. One translation says, because of this trial, you will learn the lesson of endurance. Living and leading for the long haul. I hate to say this, but most Christians have been conditioned for short sprints, not for marathons. And God says, the only way I can bring your conditioning up 
to where you're running that 26.2 mile marathon is you have to endure resistance and adversity. Because right now your endurance is good for a 100 meter dash. And how many of you realize that life is more than just a sprint? Okay. He said the reason you're even going through this is because there is a lesson of endurance that I want you to understand and embrace. That's the first lesson. Not just a lesson, but a byproduct of the conflict that you and I may be experiencing right now is, first of all, patience. And he continues and says, let patience have its perfect work. You know what he's saying? He's saying, let this thing run its course and don't abandon it prematurely. Because that's what most of us do. Life gets hard and we throw in the towel. Just shy of the finish line. Uh, for those of you who watch NASCAR racing, I, I, I think there's an advantage that we have as spectators. Because as you're watching a NASCAR race, it'll tell you how many laps you've completed <laughs> and how many laps you have left. Unfortunately, in the NASCAR race of faith, you and I don't get the advantage of knowing how many laps we have left. How much longer, Lord? I thought this thing would have changed for the better by now. And all he says is, walk by faith and not by sight. Move by what you believe and know, not by what you see. And he's saying, in the midst of difficulty, you learn the lesson of patience. But let patience have its perfect work so that you may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. Most of us jump out of the trial before the trial has completed the work. And so we go through life incomplete, lacking something that this season was supposed to teach me, but because it was too difficult in my mind to endure. I abandoned the process and I missed a lesson along the way. And let me tell you something about this. God loves us too much. God is so committed to us that he's not going to promote us into the next season until we've learned all the lessons of this season. Okay? You don't get promoted to 12th grade until you've learned the lessons of 11th grade. I don't get to 11th grade until I've learned the lessons of 10th grade. And most of us wonder why we're stuck in this season. Remember, we talked about this last week, though. We talked about this last week. It took God one day to get them out of Egypt. It took, them, took him 40 years to get Egypt out of them. A journey that should have lasted anywhere from 11 to 21 days. And let me tell you why. God's intent, okay, let's take one lap around this mountain. No, God, I ain't going to learn this lesson on the first pass. So he said, okay, let's, let's try two laps and see if you'll get it. 
nah, I'm still going to do it my way. Okay, let's try three laps. And we keep going around the same mountain when God has a land flowing with milk and honey for us. Let patience have its perfect work. So you and I may be complete and mature, lacking nothing. I'm talking about stability now. (laughs) I'm talking about stability in the midst of the turbulence. I'm talking about being sure-footed when life is falling apart. (laughs) And you guys have heard me say this before. Just because it's hard doesn't mean God's not in it. That's what most of us do. When life gets hard, we, we, we say to ourselves, well, maybe I, I didn't hear God. Yet there are times when God is in the midst. He's in the midst of our struggle. Do you think that God had the ability to deliver Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the furnace? Absolutely. But notice what that declaration was. They said, we know our God is able to deliver us from the furnace. But even if he doesn't, I still ain't going to bow. Talk about stability now. I'm talking about stability because the promises we made to God in the good times will be tested in the bad times. Is anybody hearing me this morning? And there are seasons in life when God doesn't deliver us from the furnace. He delivers us in it and through it. And there are some things that you and I will experience that God is not going to let us go around, but he's going to let us go through. Got to be stable in the midst of turbulence. I'm going somewhere with this. Uh, James continues, James continues, James continues in whatever verse this is. I'm not sure. Number one, there's a lesson of patience. And then he said, let patience have its perfect work that you may be complete, lacking nothing. But there's also in the midst of our adversity, a lesson of wisdom. Listen to what he said. He said, if any of you lacks wisdom, hmm, let him ask of God who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. Let me just make this crystal clear. There are some challenges and some adversities that you and I will experience that are not demonic in origin. Devil didn't do all of it. There are some things that you are navigating right now that are self-imposed. And the solution to self-imposed adversity is not to rebuke the devil. The solution is the wisdom of God. And let me tell you what the wisdom of God is. Wisdom is more than just the ability to discern between what is right and what is wrong. That's pretty easy. Most of us know what's right, what's wrong. Most of us who are Christian know what's good and what's evil. Wisdom goes a step further. Wisdom is the ability to make finer distinctions, not just between good and evil, but more importantly, between what is merely good and what is best. Okay. Uh, James said, uh, some of the trouble has a solution called wisdom. 
One way to get out of it is to make finer distinctions when you're making choices between what is just good and what is truly best. And the scripture says the wisdom of God is accessible. Notice what the scripture says. If I find myself in a situation that has no answer, I can ask God. And notice his response. Notice God's response to my request. He will give me his wisdom liberally. Remember, our God is a generous rewarder, not a stingy hoarder or withholder. Notice what's going He will give it to all liberally. Notice, to all. God isn't going to play favorites with his wisdom. He gives it to each of us without respect for any one of us. The wisdom of God is available to each of us right now. I don't care what you're going through. Your business ain't working. Your marriage ain't working. Your kid's going crazy. The wisdom of God is available to all. And God gives it liberally and without reproach. Let me stop there for a second. When I go to God for his wisdom, he ain't going to be like Fred Sanford and Amman and say, you big dummy. He's not going to remind you of your bad decisions. And hold it over your head and say, why didn't you ask me before you got in this situation? It says he gives his wisdom generously, profusely, liberally, and without reproach. The NIV says without finding fault. He ain't going to say, well, my wisdom was available to you before, but you didn't ask me, so figure it out, bro. He does it without reproach. And the scripture says if we're going to stabilize Number one, we've got to realize that this thing, the reason I can count it joy, the reason I can rejoice is I'm learning some things. I'm getting better through this, not bitter through this. I'm learning patience. I'm letting patience have its perfect work. I'm becoming more mature. The things that used to rub me the wrong way don't rub me the wrong way no more. I'm growing up. I'm putting on my big boy drawers now. Excuse the, 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 but you know what I'm saying now? Hmm? And on top of that, I'm learning the wisdom of God. And that's why James says we can rejoice when we experience difficulty. Because I'm better having gone through it. You're not sure about that, are you? It's the truth of God's word. It's the truth of God's word. Now, let me get to where I really want to get. He says, my wisdom is accessible, but this is what you got to do now. He said, ask in faith. Let him ask in faith with no doubting. Again, that's the stability I'm talking about now. Uh, When the turbulence happens, man, we vacillate so much uh, between faith and doubt. Faith and fear that God says, look, I'm standing right here and I got the answer you need. But the turbulence creates so many distractions and disruptions that it eats away at our faith. And when we should cry out to God in faith, we're so distracted by the turbulence that we can't even access the wisdom that's available to us. And that's why I said in the midst of your turbulence, you have to steady yourself enough. To ask in faith, nothing doubting. Notice what the scripture says, for he who doubts. 
is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, let me pump the brakes right there because the next thing that's about to happen is a big, big, big one for all of us who like to pray. It says, for let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Because he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You know one of the reasons for unanswered prayers? is our double-mindedness. And the reason the enemy introduces turbulence is because if I could get enough turbulence into that life, if I could get enough turbulence into that marriage, if I could get enough turbulence into that situation, I will make them double-minded enough where they won't receive nothing from God. Read what the scripture says. The double-minded man is unstable in not just some of the stuff he does. All his ways. Unstable in your work life. Unstable in your marriage. Unstable in your relationships. Unstable with your money. You know why? You're double-minded. And God, as much as he wants to, can't get you what you need. Let not that man think. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. Am I making this up? When the Lord says to our church, be strong and be stable, it's because there are things that are available to us, each of us individually and our church collectively that are available to us. But our instability is keeping us from receiving what is available to us because a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Man, I had a moment where I wanted to bust out with some Katy Perry. You're hot and you're cold. You're yes and you're... That's the way most of us live. Nobody can read you. One day you up, one day you down. One day you hot, one day you cold. One day you yes, one day you no. And even God says, I want to pour out a blessing, but you a moving target, player. Do I put it here or do I? Because I don't know where you're going to go next. And when God says, be stable, this is why. Because without stability, without stability, we receive nothing from the Lord. And he says, the stability must happen in the midst of your adversity. That's where it's going to happen. It's not when you're out of the storm. If it was when we were out of the storm, James wouldn't have talked about considering pure joy. He says the way you develop stability in your life, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, materially, is in the midst of the storm. Okay? Can I go a little further? <laughs> Point number one. 
All of that was my introduction. Have we even made it to the S yet? I told y'all. The S. The, the, the. If we're going to stabilize City Church, mm, uh, you have to become singular in your focus. That's the S. Singular in your focus. That's why the scripture says more than once. It repeats this phrase, look neither to the left nor to the right. Look neither to the left nor to the right. Be singular in focus. Even professional track athletes will tell you, you never look to the left. You never look to the right. Because the moment you do, even for a split second, you have lost an advantage. The problem sometimes with us is we take our eyes off the goal ahead of us and we begin to focus on everybody else around us. Let me tell you one of the reasons, another reason we become even more unstable is we begin to measure what's happening in our lane against what's happening in the lanes next to us. Oh, hold up. Mary ahead of me? We started this race at the same time. When that gun went off, how come she ahead of me? And instead of running the race that is set before me, I begin to compare how successful I am based on who's ahead of me and who's behind me. And we become divided in our focus and we become unstable. We begin to covet what everybody else has, the ones who are ahead of us. And sometimes we begin to look down on the people who are behind us because we're ahead. When we compare our lives to what's happening in the lanes around us, two things are going to happen. One of two things. One, you're going to walk away with an inflated sense of self because there's always going to be people you're ahead of. Or you're going to walk away with a deflated sense of self because of the people who are ahead of you. Stay in your lane. Be singular in focus. Let me drop a bomb on y'all. Y'all ready for this bomb? Straight from the word of God, y'all. <laughs> One of my favorite verses of scripture, y'all. One of my favorite verses of scripture is um, Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4. Genesis 49, verses 3 and 4. Is that on the screen? I Take it off the screen for a second, Kimberly, if you don't mind. Let me give you the context of this, these verses. <laughs> This is Jacob on his deathbed. And it was Hebrew tradition for a father, for a patriarch, to pronounce blessing upon his children. The children would come one by one and he would lay hands upon them. That is a tradition that is lost on the church, but there is so much power in it. Jacob is on his deathbed and he is about to pronounce blessing on his 12 sons. Remember, Jacob's name was changed to Israel. His name was changed from Jacob the deceiver, the trickster, to Israel, a prince who has power with God and prevails. God did more at the end of Jacob's life than all the years preceding. Now Jacob is about to transfer the blessing that he had received from his father Isaac to his 12 sons who would eventually become the nation of Israel. And the sons were blessed 
in the order of their birth. And the firstborn son always had a very special place of privilege and honor and respect. It's the greatest honor that a woman could give her husband in that culture to give him a firstborn son. In fact, there are cultures today, I won't even mention where, where if a woman gives birth to a daughter first, that child is left on the trash heap or thrown in the river. Happening right now today. And what we're about to witness now is Jacob pronouncing blessing, not just empty words, but words that had prophetic significance over each of his sons. I'm talking about stability now. I'm talking about stability. I'm talking about being a stable Christian. I'm talking about being a stable person. Uh, notice what it says about his son. In fact, I'll just read it. You ain't got, even got to put it on the screen because I'm going to go fast. He summons Reuben. <laughs> and he says, Reuben, you are my firstborn, my pride and joy. You are my might and the beginning of my strength. <laughs> I was at my prime when I gave birth to you. You're the best of me. And he goes on. He says, you are the excellency of dignity and the excellency of my power. But notice how he ends the blessing over his firstborn son. He says, unstable as water, you will not excel. Jacob looks at his firstborn son. And he says, son, I see the potential in you. He says, the sky is the limit for you. He said, if you'll just get your act together, you will be unstoppable. But son, you're unstable. Unstable as water. And you ain't going to excel. What father wants to say that to their son? Notice what the scripture says. Unstable as water. Hmm. I'm talking to those of us who, 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 who um, are tossed to and fro. When life is good, we're happy. When life is bad, we don't know what we're going to do. He says to his son, you are unstable as water. And y'all know something about water. Uh, water takes the shape of whatever it's put in. It has no structure. It's just free-flowing. Unstable people are conformists. You conform to whatever the situation or the circumstances require. And he says, for that reason, in spite of your amazing potential and all you could become, you will not excel. May that not be our testimony at City Church. That in our lives, let us find enough stability, find enough rigidity 
Not just when times are good, but in the midst of difficulty. To say, God, I know what you told me to do, and I'm going to do it no matter how long it takes and no matter how hard it gets. I'm going to stabilize. Can I say this about singular focus? That the root of all self-sabotage begins with instability. Y'all didn't hear me. Ah, the root of all self-sabotage is instability. The reason most people fall short of their potential like Reuben is their instability. They will not give themselves wholly to one thing and one thing only. I'm going to try this. Oh, well, it's, it's too hard. Uh, let me try this. Oh, it's too hard. Let me jump to this. Oh, it's too hard. Let me jump to this. Oh, it's too hard. Let me jump to this. And for that reason, the scripture says, that man, that woman will not excel. It's the reason the divorce rate in the church is as high as the divorce rate outside the church. And I'm not being critical or judgmental of anybody who has experienced divorce. But the reason is, man, when the turbulence happens, two people in the relationship are not stable enough to stand their ground to get through the turbulence together. And self-sabotage begins to creep in because two people become unstable in the midst of the storm. Be singular in focus, yo. <laughs> Be singular in focus. All right, that's all I'm going to say about that. Again, this is not by accident that the, I believe God is speaking these words to us. He says, be strong. He says, be stable. Because there's stuff I want to get to you. But I can't. As much as I want to, you're not stable enough to handle this. You'll mismanage it. You'll abuse it. You won't steward it. Because you're not stable enough. Okay? Uh, uh, the root of self-sabotage. Encourage you, go back and read Reuben's story. It'll blow your mind. He had everything voted most likely to succeed by his high school class. But never happened. That happens, right? When you go to your high school reunion after 30 years, you're like, not 30, 20. And you'd be like, man, what whatever happened to so-and-so? So-and-so was the man, though, in high school. Had everything going for him. And you show up at the reunion and you see so-and-so, you're like, oh, snap, what happened? Right? Because it's just not it's, not, it's not only about having the potential. It is the ability to make finer distinctions throughout the course of your life. That is the wisdom of God. I was telling the men yesterday morning, it's amazing how one bad decision leads to another bad decision, leads to a third bad decision, and all of a sudden you're saying to yourself, man, how did I get here? This is not the life I imagined. The converse is also true. 
It's amazing how one right decision can lead to the next right decision, can lead to the next right decision, and all of a sudden you are experiencing the life you did imagine. Got to be stable. All right, number two. <laughs> That's the S. Be singular in focus. Don't bounce around. The T is what? Travel light. <laughs> Let me tell you about part of the reason some of us are so unstable, we are weighed down with baggage. Every time I travel, I see it at the airport. You see the one person running down the... the, the The more baggage you have, the less stable you become. <laughs> Blows my mind how sometimes we get on the plane and we know this was a bag we should have checked. You know, ain't no way that bag gonna fit in that compartment you know it and all of a sudden you're inconveniencing yourself you're inconveniencing other passengers you are delaying the flight and you wonder why people looking at you sideways it's because you brought something on the trip that you should have checked let me tell you why most of us don't check our bags. Because we don't want to deal with baggage claim. It's good, sir. It's good. If I check my bag, it means I have to claim it. Y'all ain't helping me this morning, City Church. I thought y'all were going to give me a little something more. Listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Listen to me. I was counseling a couple. And I had this flashback of a family that I visited. All right? They had both been married before. So over time, you accumulate your stuff. And then two people get married. There is a decision those two people have to make. All your stuff and all my stuff ain't going to fit in the same house. So at some point, we're going to have to decide if we're going to move forward. What we sell in the garage sale, what we give away, what we put in storage, but we can't bring this stuff into this new house. Most of us do that with our stuff our material stuff. But we don't stop long enough to realize I'm going into a new relationship. I'm going into a new season of life. And this stuff that I had for 20 and 30 and 40 years, I cannot bring with me into this new season because the more stuff I drag, the more unstable I become. And the problem with most of us, the reason we lose our footing is because we're weighed down with too much baggage. And Lord said, let it go. 
But man, I love this Samsonite that grandmama gave me. Man, you got 10 other Samsonites. And what we become, City Church, is on the road to fulfilling our divine purpose. We become emotional hoarders. Our lives are so filled with the wrong stuff that we have no room for the right stuff. And I've watched that Nisi Nash show over and over, Clean House. And it's amazing how many people would rather hold on to 40 and 50-year-old and 20-year-old stuff and jeopardize relationships in the process. Because one of the things you'll find is the children come back to help, but they tell the story, I haven't been to this house in four years. I haven't been to this house in five years. I only call my mom. I can't come into this foolishness and mayhem. Nisi Nash's words. The reason they won't even go see mama is because mama has put more value on the stuff than the relationship. And so when it seems like you're all alone and nobody call you, nobody comes see you no more, you're isolated from people, it may be because nobody wants to deal with all that foolishness and mayhem. They want to come to your house and have somewhere to sit. Travel light. The way you stabilize is travel light. In fact, in the midst of turbulence, especially when people sail, the first thing they do is what? Throw stuff overboard. Why are y'all acting like I'm the only one who knew that? <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm serious. When your life becomes too turbulent, it's time to look around you and begin to consider what I need to start throwing overboard. I'm telling you now, if you're going to survive the turbulence, there's some stuff that's got to go overboard. Okay? Uh, I, that's ST. <laughs> okay, we aren't going to get it. I thought we were going to get it. Notice what Jesus did. Notice what Jesus did. Uh, okay, so we said instability is often the result of unresolved baggage. Notice what Jesus did. He was not only singular in focus, he traveled light, or he encouraged us to travel light. So the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2 says, Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us do what? Lay aside every weight and the sin. Let me tell you something. There are some weights that are not sin, y'all. There are some things that could hinder a person that are not in and of themselves sinful. But it's just a weight slowing you down. So the writer of Hebrews makes a distinction. He said, let go of the weight that's slowing you down and let go of the sin that's slowing you down. I, I, I thought we were in Bible class. That's the way they call it in the old school church. The sin and the weight. There's just some stuff you got to let go of, man. It's slowing you down. 
it is slowing you down. Somebody who did you wrong 15 years ago that you may never see no more, still weighing you down. You can't live a stable life with that person holding on to your emotions. You are double-minded, unstable in all your ways, and let that, not, that man or woman think they will receive anything, anything from the Lord. Is, am I making this up or is this a Bible? Okay. The Lord's trying to help us. <clears throat> uh, what was I reading? Oh, uh, and the sin which so easily ensnares us. Notice, and let us run with endurance. I can't run with endurance if I'm weighed down with stuff. Remember, what we do as Christ followers is not a sprint. It is a marathon. And if I'm going to run with endurance, I have to travel light. Uh, run with endurance the race that is set before us. Notice, in your lane. Not the race that is set be, be in Jesse's lane. Not the race that is set in Cassie's lane. Not the race that is set in Terrell's lane. The race that is set before me right here. That's the race I run with endurance. I don't concern myself with what hap what's happening beside me, around me, in front of me. He's talking about singular focus and he's talking about traveling light. And he says, where do I look? My singular focus, my singular focus is I look unto Jesus. Who is both the author and the finisher of my faith. Notice what Jesus did. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Did y'all see that? The reason Jesus was able to endure the cross was because he fixed his focus on what was beyond the cross. Oh, Lord Jesus. If all Jesus focused on was the cross that he was about to bear, he would have buckled under the weight of it. But because he saw you and he saw me, because he saw City Church 2,000 years ahead, because he saw every single man, woman, boy, and child who would come into faith in him, he endured the cross. The only way you endure your cross is you have to see what is beyond it. Can I tell you this, City Church? Hmm? What you settle in your Gethsemane always determines your response to your Calvary. Oh, y'all missed that. By the time Jesus got to the cross, he was already a dead man walking. They spit on him, they beat him, and he answered them not a word. You know why? Because there were some things that he settled in the Garden of Gethsemane before the Roman soldier showed up. And there are things that you need to settle in your Gethsemane alone with your God. That says, no matter what comes my way, no matter how hard the next 24 hours become, I'm going to go all the way to the cross. Because on the other side of this cross is a resurrection. And there are things that you and I are, haven't settled in our Gethsemane. So by the time we get to our cross... Okay, y'all ain't ready for that one. Let me give you the last one. Last one, last one. 
author and finisher of our faith. Author and finisher of our faith. That's who you and I fix our eyes on. He is the author of my, let me, let me, tell, you, let me tell you why most of us struggle with that. Then. As Christians. <laughs> it is possible to be very familiar with the story and not know the author. And most of us can quote scripture, Genesis to Revelation. We know what the book says, but we don't know the God of the book. And that's why many of us buckle and faint and grow weary. Because it's good to know the story, but even beyond the story, you and I need to get to the place where we know the character and the nature of the author. And that's why Jesus could entrust himself to his heavenly father. Because he knew the father. Mm. All right. Let me just stop there for today. That's where we're going to stop for today. That's where we're going to stop for today. Man, I was going to say something. But if I say something... Yeesh. <laughs> okay, let me just do the halfway point, which is the A. Let me do the halfway point. Uh, let, me tell you, let me tell you the key to stability. And this is what, the, one of the keys to stability. Mm-hmm. Let me tell you a third key to, to, to stability. You want a singular focus. You want to travel light. Number three, anticipate Good. Man, this is why I know, man. Life can beat you down so much that you can't see beyond what you're going through. And this is what most of us do. We resign ourselves to our circumstances. And that's why I love the song that Chuck and the team sang. It won't always be like this. The Lord will perfect that concern that's in me. Sooner or later, sooner or later, it will turn. It will turn. It will turn in my favor. And people who don't anticipate that their life will get better become extremely unstable. No matter what you're going through right now, find a way to begin to anticipate good. And that's why the psalmist said, the psalmist said it this way. He said, I will remain confident in this, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I will remain confident in this. I will anticipate good, that I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And the way you and I can become sure-footed once again is to begin to anticipate good. Unfortunately, most of us as Christians have more faith that bad stuff will happen than we do good stuff will happen. Why is that? If we serve a God who is only good. So this is where I close. Dr. Martin Luther King said it this way. 
we must accept finite disappointment, but never lose infinite hope. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's where most of us get stuck. We accept the finite disappointment. Well, we accept the disappointment and don't realize that it's finite, that it has a shelf life. And most of us so get so caught up in the disappointment that we never see beyond the disappointment to the point where we never lose infinite hope. Anticipate good. Begin to anticipate good. That something good will come out of this situation. Something good will come out of this disappointment. Something good will come out of this setback. Something good will come out of this failure. Something good will come out of this detour and delay. Something good will happen. And that's what hope is. It is a joyful, confident expectation of good. Yeah, so this is it. Dan Green. Dan Green said it this way. Regardless of what came before me or what has yet to come, what matters most right now is how I choose to respond to the challenge in front of me now. Will I lie down and die or will I fight through it? The choice is mine and I choose to finish strong. Let me tell you something. The days for wimpy Christianity are over, y'all. It's time for us to stand as men and women of God with some backbone and some spine and know that our God is with us and our God is for us. Stabilize. Stabilize. For some of us, it's the focus. We're too distracted. For some of us, it's the baggage. For some of us, it's the hopelessness. But for each of us, we find ourselves in one of these places. Whatever your thing is, whether it's the S, the T, or the A. God is letting us know that there are things he has laid up and stored up for us. But it says the double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. And let that, that man, let that, that woman think they will receive anything from the Lord. Father, help us today.